Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the second season of Lamplighters Podcasts. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. No matter who you are or where you are, no matter the time or experience you've had following Jesus, or if you haven't had any experience at all, we are grateful to be on the journey with you and look forward to becoming more of who God created us to be. So Jan, last week we had Meredith here and she walked us through the really spectacular and radical transformation that occurred in Paul's life when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Um, neither he nor the world has ever been the same. What are we going to look at today? Well, we are going to look at another radical transformation. Okay. Uh, Meredith uh, set us up by saying we were entering a series of conversion experiences Mm -hmm. with people, and this is another conversion experience. It just happens to be, ironically enough, Peter. Um, And I don't think of him as having a conversion experience after he met with Jesus after the resurrection, but that's clearly what this is. So we're going to study that today. It affected him, uh-huh. obviously, the early church, the entire world, and actually even Paul's ministry. So this Peter's conversion sets up Paul's ministry. Pretty significant. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're going. But I want to start off by us remembering our own stories. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a personal question. Okay. Do you have any prejudices? Okay. Be, trans- be transparent, <laughs> Lynn. Come on. Just hit me right away with something difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of those um, of course, I would love to be able to say no. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was taught never to lie. <laughs> so um, I will say, I will clarify that and say that until recently, I would have said no because I, I just didn't have a clear um, definition of what that meant. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm not really a prejudiced person. But I looked up the definition for prejudice, I don't know, not too long ago, maybe a year ago, and it is a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. So for me, when I changed that word in my mind from prejudice to judgment, it was easier for me to understand, Mm. and it made it easier for me to see that I do have prejudices in my life. And, you know, we all make snap judgments, and that's what a prejudice is. Um, and it could be something as silly as thinking people from the South are friendlier than people from the North. They're not? Uh, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I have relatives in the North, and I can tell you they're plenty friendly. And we've all met people from the South who are not friendly. True. So, I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a silly one. Um, but one of the prejudices that I'm currently working on is making assumptions about people who belong to certain organizations without knowing anything about them personally. I'm just associating probably negative thoughts because of the organization that they're in. And it's a terrible thing to do, and it can be a real stumbling block in in forming any kind of lasting relationship. Mm -hmm. Prejudices are stumbling blocks to relationships. They are. And I like that preconceived opinion that's not based on reason Mm -hmm. or experience. That applies to the person that I thought about that I was prejudiced against mm-hmm. uh, simply because of the way she looked, acted, dressed, believed, talked, breathed air, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. And I'm embarrassed to admit that it was in a Bible study okay. of all places. Okay. This woman drove me crazy. 
we had absolutely nothing in common. We were 180 degrees apart on yeah. everything. And I didn't like being around her. And frankly, the feeling was mutual. Yeah. She did not like being around me at all. I felt judged and looked down upon for those things that I couldn't help. Mm-hmm. And I was judging her and looking down on her for the things that she couldn't help, I will add. And I wouldn't have believed her if she had said there was a rattlesnake under my chair and I could hear it buzzing. I mean, yeah. that's how hardened I was to her. And I will readily admit there was nothing Christian about my attitude. Yeah. Um, but God, you know, those famous two oh, words. Yes. One day when I was doing my study, I heard the Spirit speak to my spirit. It, it was actually more of a yell and said, listen. Well, listening is always good, right? Okay, I'll listen. Great. Who do you want me to listen to? Oh, no, 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 no. You want me to listen to her, Lord. (laughs) And it was true. Once I started listening to her, when I heard her and I got to know her story, I realized she actually had good reasons for believing the way she believed, even though I didn't believe that way. Mm -hmm. She did have reasons for it. And what I realized is that she loved the Lord Jesus Christ deeply. We had nothing in common except our Savior. So we were sisters in Christ, and we became fast friends, and we are still friends today, and we are still 180 degrees apart. Yeah. So that was my wandering into prejudice. Okay, let's go back to our study. Okay. The basic story this week involves a really interesting cast of characters who normally would not associate with each other at all. There's a Roman officer, his servants and family and friends. There's a man named Simon. And there's Peter, of course. Um, And it's Peter's conversion we're going to be focused on. But all these other people play a huge part in it. Behind every scene in this four-part drama, if you want to think of it that way, you can look very carefully and see the skilled hand of the Holy Spirit at work. Mm. And what I loved about it was he uses different tools. Um, there's a vision, a trance. I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between those two. Um, a change of instructions from God that is shocking. And these prejudices that have to explode for the first believing Christians yeah. who were followers of Christ, who were Jewish, okay? so. The Spirit works in different ways in different people, and He always uses the right tool. So let's take a brief look at these four parts and and keep an eye out for the Holy Spirit and how He's using these tools. Okay, so the first part involves Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman soldier, a Gentile, well-off, socially prominent, and had a lot of authority. Hmm. He lived in Caesarea, which was the city built by Herod the Great, as the capital of the province of Judea. But it also was the center of Roman government and the headquarters for the Roman army that was in that area. Um, It was a spacious harbor built on the coast about 70 miles northwest of Jerusalem and was known as the great Gentile city of Palestine. So you can imagine it was a cauldron of Gentile and enemy activity and where Jews really did not want to go because everybody there was unclean for them. Right. We also know that Cornelius was devout and God-fearing. And that that just means he followed some of the practices of the Jewish faith, like um, giving generously to the poor Mm -hmm. and praying regularly. Um, Clearly, he was seeking 
and the spirit was preparing him for the next step, mm-hmm. which happens at three o'clock in the afternoon. Three o'clock in the afternoon was a time designated by tradition, not, not by the Torah, for prayer. And Cornelius was praying. So while he was in prayer, he had this vision of an angel who told him very specifically what to do. Hmm. Now, it's interesting to notice that Cornelius, Cornelius was afraid, but he did recognize the angel as the Lord, and he was immediately obedient. Hmm. He called two servants and one soldier, which shows me how sensitive he was to how the Jews felt about the Romans, that he only sent one army person yeah. with these two servants. Right. And sent them off to Joppa, which was a journey south on the coast, about 30 miles. So it would take like a day and a half to get there, right? So off they go. In the meantime, we have the second scene, uh, which involves Peter. He, by now, had been established as the chief apostle of of 12. And uh, he had been requested to come to Joppa by some friends of a woman named Tabitha or Dorcas in Greek, uh, who had died. Hmm. So he came, he prayed, the Lord brought Tabitha back to life. And needless to say, the people of Joppa wanted him to hang around. No kidding. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm sure they had a long list of things for him to take care of. (laughs) Exactly. So he stayed with a man named Simon. And here's the interesting detail. Simon was a tanner. Okay. Now, Being a tanner wasn't the most desired of occupations back then. It was a very stinky, smelly job, which is why his house was on the coast, so the Mm -hmm. sea breeze would blow all the fumes away. And it made the person unclean because they had to handle dead animals in order to take the skins off and tan them. So right away, we see that Peter has changed because he is staying with a man who was ritually unclean, and he never would have done that as a good mm-hmm. Jewish man, which he was, right. before Christ. So the Spirit is moving him slowly, slowly, step by step, in a different direction. So <clears throat> we pick Peter up when he was on the roof of Simon's seaside home, waiting for lunch and praying, and he fell into a trance. And had this vision of a large sheet filled with animals, both clean and unclean, coming down from heaven. And he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, we don't feel the impact of that. But Peter was a good Jewish boy Mm. who had observed all the Jewish dietary regulations all of his life. And that created internal turmoil for him because he recognized God's voice, but he couldn't believe that the Lord was reversing all of those Jewish dietary laws that had been around for 1,400 years. 1,400 years. So what he knew and what he was hearing were diametrically opposed. Absolutely. Absolutely. It didn't make sense to him that God was changing the rules he set in place to begin with. It was confusing. He probably thought of it as immoral. Uh, certainly impossible. And in typical fashion, I just love Peter for this. He argued with God about it. The Lord ended up having to repeat himself three times to make sure that Peter got the message. And even then, Peter kept 
wondering and thinking and pondering about the meaning of this vision and God's command. Of course, it totally made no sense to him at all. So he's thinking, what? Yeah. Yeah. And what I appreciate in this story right now is that at least this time Peter was thinking and he didn't immediately <laughs> dash off into action. Exactly. Um, I can learn a lot from that example. You know me, I'm the doer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I I have a bulletin board over my desk that I pin inspirational thoughts on, things that I want to focus on because I see them all the time when I'm mm-hmm. sitting there. And one that has been particularly important to me lately goes like this. I don't know who I'm quoting. It's just one that I wrote down. So I don't know who said it first. It's much easier to do something than to trust in God. We see the activity and mistake our panic for inspiration. <laughs> and that's, that's what it often is. Oh, We're sure. just dashing off to we do whatever. We just have to we do think. something, yes, anything. Yes. But Peter decided to obey and trust God when he didn't understand rather than take action on his own. So, I mean, I think Peter is growing a little bit here. Yes, he has gone from open mouth, insert foot to at least uh, pondering and thinking. Yes, yes. It's really good. Yeah. Well, I think the Spirit finally said, okay, I got to have to do something here. And he interrupted Peter's ruminations about this vision he'd had and told him to go with the three men whom the Spirit had sent to look for him. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was perfect timing. Of course. Now, Notice that the Spirit doesn't explain the vision to Peter. He just gives Peter a chance to live out the message in the vision. Hmm. He says, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. That's the message, and you got to go live it out now, Peter. And so the opportunity to obey came pretty quickly. Uh, Peter quit arguing and got up, and he went downstairs, and lo and behold, there were the three men looking for him, and he went with them. Mm-hmm. And they were Roman Gentiles. Oh. So, so talk about people. The plot thickens. I know. I mean, that, <laughs> these are the impure of the impure, right? That's right. And he, <clears throat> he goes off, and he's also accompanied by some of the Jewish Christians that had gone with him to Joppa. So off they set uh, back to Cornelius. Okay, scene three is when Peter arrives in Cornelius's house. Cornelius said, had been preparing for this for three days. Mm-hmm. He knew Peter was going to come. Mm-hmm. So he had great confidence in God bringing that about. So he calls all of his relatives and his friends together and, and to come hear what Peter has to say, right? So I'm sure also the, the news of Cornelius's vision had spread and people were curious. So the Holy Spirit begins drawing other people to Jesus through this Roman soldiers. We have a lot of under-the-surface Holy Spirit activity here. Mm-hmm. A very eager crowd awaited uh, Peter, and they were all Gentiles, mm-hmm. every one of them. So Peter comes in with his Christian Jewish entourage, right, to this expectant crowd, and his opening line has to be one of the best. It's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. Yeah. <laughs> How to win friends and influence <laughs> people. Right. I'm just kind of like, what? Anyway, he goes on then to explain that God told him he couldn't label them as unclean or impure mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. This was a 180 yeah. for Peter. It was a true conversion from one direction mm-hmm. to the next. Um, and he goes on to acknowledge that God doesn't play favorites that Jesus is Lord of all, Mm -hmm. and even Roman Gentile enemies who aren't, he's not allowed to think of that way anymore. Okay, so scene four 
is Peter preaching the gospel to these foreigners and the Holy Spirit being poured out on them. It was sort of a Gentile Pentecost, if you want to think about it that way. That's a good picture. Yeah. And now who's shocked here? Not necessarily the Gentiles who are receiving the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but the Christian Jewish believers. Exactly. Who thought the Holy Spirit was like their property. Wait a minute. Right. Exactly. What are you doing with that? What's he doing over there? Exactly. But it's clear. I mean, (laughs) they're speaking in tongues. They're they're, you know, praising God. Um, and it just was confirmation to everybody mm-hmm. that there is one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one body, and the Spirit fills all believers equally. Mm. So if you think about that, and you think of it as terms of Peter's conversion, it opened up the door to the spreading of the good news to the Gentiles. Yeah. Because that Jewish prejudice had to fall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, before the Lord's revelation Mm -hmm. that all are equal in His sight, that He loves everybody, everybody needs the love of God, everyone needs to hear the good news about Jesus and have an opportunity to believe. All of that had to fall. And as we say sometimes, the the land, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Yes. Everybody. Yes. So, in this sense... Peter's vision of the radical acceptance and love of God for everyone enabled Paul's ministry to the Gentiles in the Roman Empire because Peter is the one who threw the door wide open. You know, I'm familiar with that story and his vision and all that. I just never had thought of it before as him being transformed. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And he was no longer the same person. So it seems to me that. You know, we're all called many times throughout our lives, possibly many times throughout each day to conversion. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it seems like I'm being called to stop making assumptions about people Mm -hmm. and situations and what I think is going on, Um, often, you know, through very clouded vision of my own. And I just need to try and start seeing people through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, that we are all the same. We are all loved by God. And, you know, it's not, you know, I knew him first, so he loves me more. It's not that at all. (laughs) He Um, loves me best. (laughs) Yes, it's not not that. Uh, Whenever I give him that chance, I think he'll open my eyes to what it is that I need to see. Mm -hmm. Because it's what he wants me to see. He's not trying to make this difficult. He's just saying, come on, Lynn. Yeah. I'm I'm showing it to you. Just open (laughs) it up. open Open your eyes and look at it. Exactly. So it's about my obedience, ultimately. Yeah. Well, Thomas uh, quoted a a prayer in his sermon a while back that has really stuck with me. And it was, Lord, help me to see the world, people, situations, problems, whatever. Help me to see the world the way you do. Yeah. Break my heart with what breaks yours. Mm-hmm. And help me not to duck. That's yeah. the, that's the yeah. obedience part. That's right. Um, and I think that is, that's really true. If we can only see the way the Lord sees, yeah. that is critical to this. Okay. So what are we going to do with this lesson? Frankly, it feels very remote to me. um, And I had a hard time getting into that until I think about the responses of the two main characters. Both men recognize the Lord's voice. The message the Lord gave didn't make sense to either of them. Mm -hmm. But one of them instantly obeyed and the other didn't. Oh. Yeah. I know which one I want to be. I know. I know. (laughs) I, I just, I... It's easy for me to judge these responses, right? 
but in actual fact, they're great, greatly comforting to me because there are times when I hear God's voice or the Holy Spirit just sort of gives me a gentle brush and um, I am instantly and easily responsive. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often than not, there are other times when I have to be uh, poked several times and have the message repeated before I get it. So I keep waiting for God to explain. Uh-huh. And like the Holy Spirit in this story, He doesn't. He's asking me to step out and live out the message without an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, and it's so much harder than it sounds like to actually do that. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I, I don't want to skip over that I think is really important part of this equation, and that is we have to be able to hear his voice in order to obey it. And how do we hear his voice? Well, we have to recognize it. How do we recognize his voice? It's only by being in constant and close relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will recognize him when he speaks to us. Uh, exactly. And I think we have to know our need as well. Cor- Cornelius knew his need. Yeah. He, um, he didn't know exactly what it was, but he knew that God was going to meet it. Mm-hmm. And for me, the key is found in Cornelius's response to Peter, uh, Acts 10.33, if you want the actual verse. Cornelius says, we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That is a posture of eager humility and openness to the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the thing that I want us to concentrate on this week is what is our posture before the Lord? You know, to whom are we really listening? How can our listening skills improve? What prejudices do we need to set aside? Yeah. So the exercise for the week is to practice listening to someone you don't agree with. That's a good one. Well, and I'm sure you have plenty I was to say, pick from. I don't, I don't think that'll be too hard to find. I have a long list. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Practice listening to someone you don't agree with this week. Okay, great. All right. Well, until next time.